Hello, everyone, and welcome back to It's All Geek to Me, a podcast where we discuss anything and everything geek-related. I'm Trey. And I'm Tim. We are going upside down and talking about the Duffer Brothers' Stranger Things. So join us for some spooky times and some fun times, because you know, it's all geek to me. If it's a comic book or a comic movie, it's all geek to me. If it's some sort of game or a show on TV, it's all geek to me. If it's a play or ballet, I agree. If it's a car, a sword, a beach, or a tree, it's all. It's just all geek to me. All right, Trey. The show that has taken the world by storm. It is now have four seasons with one final one coming out soonish within the next couple years. We're talking Stranger Things. Stranger Things. And I uh, I jumped on this a little bit late. You did. You just jumped on the last couple months. But what a journey. Like from not liking it initially to not wanting to watch it initially to now loving it and theorizing with me. What a journey you've had. I know. What are your thoughts? Um, well, first off, for those who haven't listened to, I believe it was the TV show episode, one of like maybe episode four or five that we did, I was not a fan of Stranger Things when it came out. And I want to say this is 2015, 2016. And um, yeah, it was one of those things that was overhyped. I really did not like the first episode of the first season. And I gave it a try. I gave it two episodes and I just fell off of it. I was like, I don't understand the hype here. I don't care for it. I'm not enjoying that people keep telling me I need to watch it. So I'm not going to watch it. And so I told people for years, I did not like Stranger Things. And I gave it another shot after you told me to watch it one more time, get past the first two episodes. And man, am I happy that you did that. Um, Stranger Things is really good. Um, I still think it is a little bit overhyped, at least with the first season. But I love, love the character development in all of these shows. And the reason, and I think this is a big point I want to hit right from the get-go. The big reason I actually started watching the show again is the Duffer Brothers. When they came out recently before season four, they mentioned that they were given the full creative reign of their vision, what they wanted to do with the show. And so they've been setting up things in the season one where they're like, we have things ready for the last season. Season four is going to be this huge thing that we were able to do. And we're ending it when we want to end it. This isn't like a studio saying, hey, you need five seasons. This is the Duffer Brothers, the writers and the director saying, this is our vision and we're able to do it. And it's very rare you get that in any sort of medium. So that's what really drew me in. It's like, okay, if these directors are able to do that, I want to see what they've made. And yeah, I, I'm excited for season five. They've said season five is, it's going to be good. It's going to be very good. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm so excited for season five. And I'm excited that you watched it and gave it that, that extra try and are enjoying it. But I really, like you were saying, I love when creators and writers have the ability to control what they want to create. 
because I feel like too often they have a vision for the show and the network's like, no, you need to do more shows, no more seasons, or no, we're going to change that, or no, we're going to do this instead. And the writers and creators of it are like, no, that's not really what I, my vision for these characters or, or the plot or anything. And I feel like also along the lines of like knowing when to stop yes. is so good because I feel like shows don't know when to stop because they're like, oh, this is popular. It's making money. And they're like, let's just keep going. Another season, another season, another season. And they end up going two or three seasons too far. And those last two or three seasons just aren't as good as they as the, their predecessors and just aren't to the standard of the show and just aren't as enjoyable to watch. And so I'm really happy that Stranger Things has had a plan of going four or five seasons the entire time and they know when to stop. It's been Absolutely. Because um, even with that, as you said, like they don't know, some people don't know when to stop. You end up getting these filler episodes, which when done right, when you're doing it in order to progress a character in their arc, it's great. But when you're doing it just to expand how many episodes you have per season and just trying to basically just get a larger show, it tends to fall flat. Those tend to be the bad episodes. And I think done right, we're actually going to talk about this next week, but I think it's in this category. Avatar The Last Airbender does a very, very good job at filler episodes on their characters, but also giving the directors and the writers their freedom to tell their vision of a story. So true. Once again, it's rare. You don't get to see that a lot. One of the shows that I think does it poorly I don't know if you've seen this one, but is Lost. I actually haven't seen Lost. Lost Unfortunately, was really good until the very end. Yeah, Lost was really good for the first maybe three seasons. I would maybe say uh, season three. And then I think they lost track on what they wanted to do. And I think mm. that was a studio saying, we want more, we want more, we want more. And there's even this whole thing of like, the writers were flying from their seat of the pants. They were like, oh, we got two more seasons oh crap i don't know what to write about and so episode by episode (laughs) was just them trying to figure out what to do yeah and you can tell when there's shows like that you can tell which is why i'm happy stranger things does not feel that way it feels like everything has a purpose in the show Mm -hmm. so talking about that let's just jump into season one uh what were your initial you you watched it when it first came out so what were your initial thoughts yeah you also rewatched all these within the last month <laughs> yeah i decided that in between volume one of season four and volume two of season four that i was going to watch all of stranger things again from season one to season four to get ready for volume two um i was watching a lot of stranger things within that month um but it was fun it was it was worth it because it made me remember things um and remember things i forgot because i haven't seen i up until that point i hadn't seen season one through three since season three came out and so i watched the first volume of season four and was like oh this is so good but like i'm forgetting things and forgetting little things that you know they did in the first couple seasons so I'm really glad I rewatched it. Um, but jumping into season one, 
initial thoughts. Oh man, I was hooked from the very beginning. I, the first episode was a little slow for me, but was a, was a cool intro to the, to the kind of the tone that the show is going to have was going to be this kind of mystery coming of age, you know, investigation type of show. And it was so good. It was so well done and very different than any show that I'd seen in a while. Um, Cause they had a lot of different elements in it from L with like the powers to, you know, the coming of age to, you know, eighties to mystery. And they had all these different things in it and it was really cool. I think what I really enjoyed the most in season one was the mention to like real things that actually happened in the eighties um, that they tied into like L. So like MK Ultra was an actual government thing where they set up clinics and stuff and had trials with like LSD and all these different things, which is a true thing that actually happened. And it's kind of cool that they mentioned it in the show and they kind of made that part of it. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I the Season one is kind of always has a special place in my heart because um, I'm always reminded how good it is of a, of a first season. Um, yeah. It's kind yeah, of- I agree with that. Uh, season one, I think the reason I enjoyed it after those first two episodes is the suspense and mystery of it all. Um, unlike all the other seasons... This all takes place in Hawkins, Hawkins, mm-hmm. Indiana, and it's a very closed off season where you get to meet these characters, you get to grow with them, you get to understand who they are, and everyone has their own little subplot, which is really cool, but it's not like this grand scheme subplot. It's more of everyday everyday life. Um, yeah. Joyce and Jonathan are looking for Will, their son, or Joyce's son, Jonathan's brother. And he went missing, but they know he's alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan's dealing with, do I believe he's dead or do I agree with my mom and try to search for him? How do I go about this? Hopper, the town sheriff, uh, the chief, is looking over all these missing people cases. He's like, what's going on? I don't understand this. And he's like the detective going around. Yep. And yet, then we have all the kids. You got... Mike, you got uh, Lucas, you have Dustin, and they're going around. They find Eleven, and they're just trying to figure out, okay, where's Will? We know we can find him. Eleven's the answer, and they're trying to figure that out. And then lastly, you have Nancy and Nancy freaking Wheeler. Nancy and Steve. Man, if there is one season that I say Nancy is like the big, like good character, it's season one. I really enjoyed her in season one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, not so much. I hated Steve. He got so much better. Um, well, by the end got, of the season, he becomes a good guy. He does. And oh, I love Steve. Steve is one of my favorite characters. I love but Steve. But season one, he was a bit of a jerk. And yeah. he was meant to be. He was definitely meant to be. He was meant to die at the end of season one. He was, but he acted yeah. his butt off. And the Duffer brothers, from <laughs> from rumors and from what everyone hears, the Duffer brothers saw him acting. It's like, you know what? Let's We're keep We're going to keep this guy. <laughs> such a smart move. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes. Move. And now, 
with season one, all of those subplots were so cool because they were all individual. And yet in the final episode, they all came together. Like mm-hmm. every single person somehow found their way together and they all fought it together. And I thought that was phenomenal. The storytelling of the plot of how there's something strange happening in Hawkins was really, really good. And I have to say season one is probably still my favorite season. Even it's with like one. some of the slowness to it, I appreciate it so much more after watching the other seasons. Yeah. I, yeah, honestly. Um, I honestly am appreciating season one, if you believe some of the theories too, with season four. Um, and spoilers for season four, if you haven't seen it yet, um, we're going to be kind of diving into it and talking about a lot of things. So, you've been warned. Um, but in season four, we're introduced to the, the new villain, the new big bad, which is Vecna. And more than that, we've we learned that Vecna has been pulling the strings the entire time. Um, he was the mind flayer. He sent the Demigorgon. He's been doing all these things and pulling the strings. But there's a theory, and I don't know if you if you know this one. Is this the I original design you. theory? Um, uh, maybe. Um, I right, you go the first, and then I'll go. All right, cool, cool. Um, but it's basically the theory is that. In season one, in the very first episode, when Will is being chased by the Demigorgon, um, and he's running into his house, and he closes the door, puts the chain on, locks the door, and then like tries to call, but the phone doesn't work. And you see from the inside of the house, the chain on the door, the, the bolt chain, move telepathically or telekinetically and then fall out of the door. And people have theorized, like, wait, the Demigorgon does not have telekinetic abilities. How would he be able to move the chain telekinetically? But people are thinking it was Vecna, and Vecna was trying to get Will all the way back in season one. And so kind of just proving that they may have had a plan this entire time from the very first episode that Vecna would eventually get in here and be this big bad that was over everything. And was that, that kind of theory that you were thinking of? A little bit. So there was an addition to it. So the Duffer Brothers and the Stranger Things community has released a original design of Vecna image. And if you take oh. that image and you take the shadow of the creature that kidnaps Will, they're really? almost identical. Like the really scrawny looking thing with like the, the long fingers. Uh-huh. That was supposed to be the original design of Vecna. So they could easily say that's how Vecna looked at that time because it's years later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The only question I have is, once again, spoilers with season four. In season four, they they showed that Vecna was not powerful enough to get out on his own. He needed Mm -hmm. 11's powers. So one, how was Vecna already out? And two, why Will? Why this little boy? Was he trying yeah. to do like all the different portals at that time that he was like doing in season four? Mm-hmm. I don't know. The other thing is in season four, we do kind of see Vecna in the real world, but it's him to kinetic telekinetically appearing in that world to capture them. He's like yeah. invisible to everyone else, but like they're in that dreamlike state. 
So that could mm-hmm. have happened in season one. That could have been what Will was seeing. Yeah. We just don't know. And I hope, I really do hope that this is a setup for some good conclusion in season five. Oh, that would be awesome. That'd be amazing. Um, yeah. Like I'm very curious on what, what they're going to do with it. Um, but I do, I just, I love season one and like they do a great job of giving you a complete story but also setting things up for future that you did not realize were set up. Yeah. You didn't realize were set ups. And also, but before we get into setups, I kind of want to talk about like character arcs Um, because there's so many good character arcs in this show. Um, And I think some of the best ones are like Nancy and Jonathan. Absolutely. Um, And Steve, I'm going to throw Steve in there. So Nancy, Jonathan and Steve have some of the best character arcs because like where they begin of like Jonathan, just trying to, help out his family he's working you know picking up extra shifts at his job whatever he does doing all these things nancy just cares about steve and just wants you know whatever you know to do whatever to get steve's attention and end up dating him steve just wants to be the cool guy on campus and then by the end of the season they're hunting monsters and hunting this you know beast and like to get from point a to point b is just an awesome journey and it made sense the way the show progressed it Absolutely. through the ups and the downs and through these like happy moments and these sad moments. And the Duffer brothers wrote their arcs and their characters so well. Yeah. And I think I should clarify with when I said that Nancy's character in season one was my favorite of hers. It's because of that arc. It is the arc of all I care about is myself and Steve. And what I want to do. And then gradually she realizes it's not about herself. And it's about helping Jonathan. Like saving Will. And figuring out what this Demogorgon thing is. At that point she has not talked to the other kids. Yeah. And so it was, it was all her. She was the one leading the group at that time by the end. And Steve just kind of jumps in. is like I made a mess of myself. I'm going to help. And then freaks out and still helps. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I do, so. I do appreciate that they do a, the Denver Brothers did a great job in this season, having all three, you know, groups because there's the the three main groups you talked about: Hopper and Joyce, and then you had the the Nancy, Steve, Jonathan, and then you had all the the, the younger kids that aren't young anymore: um, the Dustin, Mike, Will, not Will, but Dustin, Mike, um, Lucas, Eleven group. And they're all chasing the same thing. They're all hunting the Demigorgon and hunting, trying to find Will. But they're all going at it from different angles, um, which is super cool. Because like the young group, the group of boys, and Eleven, they're hunting it through Eleven and you know the gates and things like that. The Joyce Hopper group are doing it through um, eventually through the government facility and Brennan and all that. And then the Jonathan. Nancy group was doing it through you know the specifically the creature the demigorgon and hunting for Barb as well because Barb went missing and that's kind of what drew Nancy in to this whole thing and so like they did a great job of having these three separate groups hunting the, all the doing the same thing but from three very different angles and not realizing what they're doing until the final episode or final two episodes yeah I man I don't think there was character development this good in any of the other seasons. Aside from maybe Max, 
in like season three. Um, but yeah, season one, it took it slow, allowed you to understand these characters and then feel for them, especially through what they're trying to do. You have, before I jump into it, like set up for season two, set up for more seasons, do you have any other character related, um, topics or statements or anything on your mind of these characters from season one? Uh, they killed the best episode in the first. They killed the best character in the first episode. Freaking Benny, Benny. He ran the diner. Oh yeah, Benny. Was super nice to Eleven. Best character in the entire show. I stand by it. Killed him in the first episode. In the first twenty minutes, murdered him. <laughs> Justice for lie, Benny. I forgot about Benny. <laughs> <laughs> I know everyone does. I'm I'm kind of kidding. Um, I do like his character. I love Benny as a character. But anytime I introduce someone to Stranger Things and we watch the first episode, any as soon as Benny came on the screen, I'd always be like, that's my favorite character. Benny's the best. I love Benny. And then he would die like <laughs> five minutes later and they'd be like, what? Like, what the heck? And I'm like, haha. <laughs> so, I did like but Benny. I do love Benny. He's a great character. Um, but no, I'm, I'm uh, good to go into setup. Thinking so about it, you mentioned Benny. Um, there is one other character or characters. I would group them all together. It's the government. I think the government as a whole is kind of a character in the show. And they show up in the first season where they're looking for Eleven. For sure. They're looking for someone who left. I know they're more so part of the facility, but it's still part of the government-controlled area. And they're almost the secondary antagonist of the entire show because it's all about this Russia, we're trying to uh, not let them know what we're doing. So the government wants to keep everything a secret, but then they slowly become a little bit more villainous. And we want to kill this kid because, well, she has these powers to control us and we don't want that. And it's really cool to see the character progression of the government between seasons. You don't really get it season and season. It's almost in between each. Yeah, and I would take it a step further in the sense of the government is also ebbs and flow from being like your helpful, you know, big brother to we're evil to helpful again. Because like in the first season, they, and I might be getting ahead of myself with, you know, talking about other seasons, but the first season they're like, I agree, they're this, you know, spooky, I'm looking over your shoulder, we're trying to capture this little girl again. And not let anyone know what we're doing and kind of turn, like like you said, a kind of a second villain. Um, maybe even someone that like, like a villain just trying to cover up their tracks and make it sound like they did nothing wrong. Um, but I'm, I was going to talk about more, more about the second and third season with that, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So I'm going to wait. <laughs> yeah, we'll wait till we get there. Set up, though, I do want to talk about D&D. Um, D&D is a huge thing in the world of Stranger Things. Uh, it is a huge thing in the 80s. That's when it, I think it first came out in the correct. 80s, if not before. Um, D&D has gone through so many different versions. You had first edition, second edition, advanced, 3.5. you had third, you had 3.5, 4, maybe a 4.5, and now fifth. But like during this time, it's when it was getting to the point of popularity. And then season four showed where the popularity dropped oh, because we'll get into that. 
But the setup in the first season, when we first meet the kids, they're all playing D and D together, which is a really cool thing. Um, it's just a storytelling mechanism, not only the game, but also in the show. Everything that they did in that scene with D and D basically foretold everything in the yep. first season, and they do this every single season, or at least for the not most necessarily part. with D and D though, which I appreciate. They they change not, yeah not necessarily with D and D trope a little bit, but with the first season they set it up where these characters are all playing and the I think Mike is the the dungeon uh, master DM yeah. the dungeon master. And he throws a demogorgon at them. And it's this creature that uh, is just grotesque and villainous. And they're all trying to fight him. And Mike gets scared. Mike is like, I don't know what to do. Should I fight? Should I run? Sorry, yeah, Will. And it sets up Mm -hmm. his whole arc of when he gets captured, he doesn't know what to do. Should he fight or should he run? And he ends up doing a little bit of both, which gets him Mm -hmm. captured. And... They never really. I don't think they finished the game. Like they had to, they yeah. had to leave, and so that set up the whole arc of the Demogorgon captured him. How are we going to do this? And they, the rest of the show is in terms of D and D, which it's is so just good, so cool. Um, I want to add something to that, which is with so Will can either choose to cast Fireball or Shield, and when he gets to his house, when he's getting chased by the Demigorgon, it shows those options. And the options were he can run to the shed and grab his gun, or he can make a call and try to like call for help, which was the shield option. And like you said, he was indecisive and tried to do both. And he ends up grabbing the gun, which cause he, he did in the D and D like um, portion of the episode he like chose to cast the fireball at the last second right before like Mike was going to like, you know, stop his turn and he missed and he ended up missing with the gun. And it was such a cool parallel. I love how they set that up. I love how they do that. But then I love at the very end of the season, they play again. The episode ends with them playing and finishing the campaign and finishing the, the story. And they talk about all the things in the episode again but not only that but they talk about all the plots that are left hanging which i really loved like they say what about the missing knight because at the end of the season hopper gets in the government vehicle and is driven away and you don't know what happened to him and so and eleven's missing. yeah and so they say what about the 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 what about the lost knight or the missing princess who was 11 missing and so they talk about all these things and they like all the guys ask questions and they're like, it didn't really make sense because like some of the parts of the show, it didn't make sense. And so they like drop all these questions that the audience has. And I love how they do that. And I love how they set all that up. And like, they're like, no, we know what we're doing. We have plans. And it's like, don't worry. We know the questions you're asking and we'll get to that. And it's so cool. Yeah. And there's, there's a whole bunch of more setups for later seasons, but I think, Season by season, we'll get into like, okay, in the last season, this is how they set up this. That way we don't get ahead of ourselves. So with that, a year later, I believe it was only a year after this first season aired. Yeah. They aired the yeah, second. Halloween. It was a very short gap. And second season, I, I did enjoy. Second season was pretty mm-hmm. good. 
I don't think it lived up to first season, but it did have a lot more character development and it introduced some new characters that I like. What were your thoughts? My thoughts on season two, I loved the the setting of Halloween because it gave a lot of really cool like fake outs um, in the first couple episodes. Cause like, and I also appreciated in the trailer for this season, I remember it being um, like you had moments where they were all dressed up and they were all um, like it was the, dressed up in their Halloween costumes and yeah, the Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters and Dustin like turns and looks and is like, guys, oh my gosh. And like you're led to believe in the trailer that it's this crazy thing he's seeing. Right. But in the episode, he's just seeing that no one else dressed up, dressed up for Halloween to go to school that day and they were the only four guys <laughs> dressed up and so i appreciated that the, tra- the trailer didn't really reveal anything in the actual ep- in the a- actual like season like it didn't spoil anything that's the word i was looking for it didn't spoil anything and so i loved that setting of halloween and i appreciated the setup in the beginning that they did with hopper um, cause Hopper's investigating these pumpkins and these, like they're rotting and all of these fields were rotting. And it's like, okay, this is interesting. Like, why is this happening? Um, and so I liked the, I, I appreciate that they hit the ground running with this season. This season felt like they picked Absolutely. up right where they left off. They hit the ground running. They answered enough of your questions to, um, from the last season to where they're like, Oh, okay, cool. They, they answered enough of them to continue my interest. 11 was still missing. You had no idea where she was. Um, Will's now going to the, the government facility because they're now a better organization. Brenner's gone. You have Owen stepping in who seems like a really nice guy. So now Will's going to get, you know, it's like um, treatments to you know talk through whatever's going on to see if he needs help medically and they're setting things up and we should not we should not forget that at the end of season one we did get to see will throw up what seemed to be a that's true and we're like what is this and they jump right into that within the first two episodes yeah um i i agree with you i think the plot here was very very much just okay, you enjoy first season. This one's just, let's up the ante mm-hmm. a little bit. And kind of going with character, kind of going with plot. We, I do think we get another weird character that shows up the rest of the seasons, but really season two is the one that makes it a character. And I bo- do believe the upside down would be considered a character. Ooh, I can see you. I see because that. Because in season, in season two, we get the idea that everything in the upside down is connected. Yeah, it's a hive mind. Everything, if you hurt one thing, yeah, it's a hive mind. If you hurt one thing, it's going to hurt another. And we later know this is Vecna. However, in season two, we we are led to believe this is just the demodog. These are the demogorgons. Everything is just a hive mind. And every season, we get to learn a little bit more about it. And so in that vein, I do see the upside down as a mm-hmm. character, especially in this season. And kind of piggybacking off of that i really appreciate how the evolution of the upside down in each season um like first season we see it a little bit with 
with Will being stuck in there. And then Joyce and Hopper at some points go into the upside down and you see the upside down and it's all dark and ashy and, you know, a corrupted version of our, our city. Um, and then in season two, Will, the, the, the boys describe him as, as having true sight, which again is another D and D connection, um, which we'll get more into when we talk about setup for this season. Um, but he has true sight. So he's able to see into the mind flayer. Who's the main villain for this season and kind of see some, um, like some of his plans and stuff. Cause the mind flayer is taking over. Um, isn't the mind flayer season three? Both. This would just be the no, it's both. mind flayer is season two and three. Isn't the yeah. mind flayer? Okay. Mind flayer is kind of the main bad and the demodogs were like foot soldiers. Um, and so, like, Will is, like, try- is like seeing into all these things, and he says, oh, there's a storm coming in the Upside Down. There's a storm in the Upside Down. And that's where the red lightning comes in, and you start seeing all this, this, this change in the Upside Down. And I really like how they, like, upgraded it and made it look different than season one. So it's like, all right, things are happening there just like they're happening in our world. Like, things are changing. Things are shifting. Stuff is moving. Um, I liked that. I thought that was cool. Yeah. And I, I would also add on an element of the writing, which is, this is phenomenal writing. You watch season one, you would not consider this a horror TV show. No. Not really. There's not that much scariness going on. It's more suspenseful. Season by season, the Duffer brothers create this show to get progressively more scary progressively more horror based and i think that is beautiful storytelling because you get people hooked and now you're introducing people to a genre that they may not be interested in and now they are i know for me i am not a huge horror tv show fan i like suspense a quiet place is like a great medium for me with like suspense versus horror but Stranger Things does that too, where they they kind of ride that line between suspense and horror all the way up until season four. And I, I will say season four is probably the most horror that this show has ever gone. And it was beautiful. Oh my gosh. Those first couple episodes of season four, where they just drop you in. I'm going to say this, actually, as well. With season one and two, they ease you in to the horror elements because in see in season one you hear the demogorgon but you don't see it and so it gives you that suspense right and barb dies but you don't again you don't see it she gets dragged into the pool and that's not until up to like four out of eight and so in the first three episodes you see nothing it's suspenseful they kind of ease you into it season four kind of has that like borderline but not even really Sorry, not season, but uh, episode four has that borderline horror, but even not really horror. And then by the end of the season, Elle is like popping people's heads and having blood come out of their eyes and stuff and like killing people. And then the demigorgon comes and starts just mauling people. And that's where you have the horror elements at the end of the season. And then now in season two, it's the same thing. It's the mind flayer and the demodogs. In the first couple episodes, for first half of the season don't really have anything then by the the end you have will being possessed by the mind flayer 
you have demidogs eating people and destroying the lab and then kind of getting into characters a little bit, you have Sean Astin's character, Bob, Bob the Brain, spoilers, dying at the end of the season from a demidog and getting chewed and mauled and it being focused on and kind of having that horror gore element in there. And so the first two seasons ease you into it. And same with kind of the third, but the fourth just drops you into it. Episode one and is like, here you go. Have fun with this. And so it's crazy. Yeah. And I think on top of that, what's really interesting about the show, we we talk about this in the Marvel watch that we do, is the, the choice of light and color. Season one is a pretty dark season. There's not a mm-hmm. lot of it taking place in the morning, in the in the light time. There's a few here and there, but a lot of it's at night. Yeah. Season two and three are not that way. Season two and three have this parallel of a lot of it takes place in the daytime. Mm-hmm. So season two, uh, we're leading up with like the demodogs. You see Dustin having trying to be friends with the slug that he's calling a p- petalwog, a polywog, or something like that. Yeah, polywog. What did he name it? D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan is the, what he names it. Yes, Dart. And we get to see his plot of trying to trust this creature, and then realizing it it's a demogorgon, and. All of that takes place during the daytime. So there's not a lot of horror elements there because you don't feel as if it's going to go bad because it's in broad daylight. Even when they fight a lot of the uh, demodogs as a group with Steve the babysitter in this episode, it's in broad daylight until that that whole transition. It starts in daylight and then goes to night. Season three is the same way. Season three is probably the most colorful season oh, yeah. we've had. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself. But that also takes place in the light time. So season two and three does this weird switch where it's like, you know when it's starting to get bad because the all color, of a sudden the yeah, show the color gets drains. dark. And the rest of the show is like at yeah. nighttime. And I don't think people realize it or pick up on it, but you can feel mm-hmm. it while watching it. Like, I know when I watched it, I was like, I know something bad's going to happen, but I don't know why. And I think it's Yeah, I change. think you're right. And w- one thing kind of going off of that is as the season goes on, it progressively gets darker and darker for season two and three. Like, a lot of the first half mm-hmm. of the season is, like you were saying, in daylight. And then when something bad happens, it's at night. Like, Will, when he first has this, like, when you first see his first, like, attack in, the, in season two, where the Mind Flayer is trying to get, like, take him. It's Halloween night. During the day, everything was fine. But as soon as night came, something bad happened. And so then as the show progresses, like you were saying, during the day, is everything fine? But as night comes, you you feel like something's wrong. Something bad's going to happen. And as the show gets on, it gets progressively darker and darker. More things and more story happens at night. And then by the end, it's all at night and darker and theme wise and color scheme wise so that's a great great point and i love how they do that in season two and three um what character arcs and things are in this yeah in this season that you liked um season two we get introduced to max if i'm not mistaken and max is one of those characters when i first started watching i was like 
do we really have to have another kid? Do we really have to have another actor to bog all this down? I liked having the close-knit group. And then Max started getting better and better. And then you get to see her story and her her family life. And Billy, you get to see a little bit of Billy in this episode or in this season. And you get introduced to all this, but it leaves you hanging until season three. And I, I really enjoyed that. They didn't try to push or rush character development of a new character. They wanted to progress it to throughout seasons, which I really appreciated. If we're talking about past characters, I really enjoyed, um, it's not Lucas. I enjoyed uh, Dustin's Dustin character. Dustin is one of my favorite of characters the oh, in yeah. the entire show. I love Dustin so much. I cut you off though, so continue. <laughs> really Dustin and Steve in this, in this season because at one point, all the kids are off doing their own thing. And Dustin's here like, I need help. I know this thing is a Demogorgon. I need someone to come help me. It is in my basement. No one's answering him. And he sees Steve. And he's like, Steve, you need to come here now. Even though Steve is at Nancy's trying to win her back. uh, Not confesses. Yeah, Yeah. win her back, but also apologize and things like that. And Steve's like, okay, whatever. I'm the babysitter. (laughs) Let's just do this. And through this whole season... We have Dustin and Steve getting to know each other so much more. And it's my favorite relationship in the entire show. I love Dustin and Steve. Um, So those are probably my favorite character arcs is the acceptance acceptance of what you wouldn't imagine to be a good Mm -hmm. friendship. It's not something I thought I wanted until I saw it. Very true. Very true. Um, this season, I think kind of like the first season, did a great job of having all the different subplots happening. Because you have Lucas and Max getting to know each other. Lucas and Dustin are kind of competing to win like to win her over because they both have a crush on her. Um and then you have, you know, the whole Dart and the demi dog, demi gorgon plot with like you were mentioning with steve and dustin they are doing that thing lucas is trying is kind of bringing max into the fold and eventually starts telling her all the secrets and everything that happened mike is with will and joyce um and and kind of hopper with trying to figure out what's going on with will and him being possessed by the demigorgon and then you have this kind of almost random group after that which is Nancy and Jonathan and they're on they're kind of the most random I feel like of of the the plots that don't really make sense until the very end of the episode and I think that's like not the episode but the season at the end of the season that's where that subplot really comes into play and really makes sense um with they're trying to expose the government facility to get justice for Barb and her death because no one knows that she's dead her parents still believe that she's alive and it's super awkward and nancy and jonathan go on this adventure and they find murray and they find some information and they like go to expose what happened um and the cover-up and so go ahead which 
which just kind of jumping on that real quick with the characters, Jonathan, Nancy, and Murray were not my favorite in the season. They weren't. They they were honestly, every time that came up, I was like, can we get back to Hawkins? Like, I want to go back. And Murray annoyed me. I hated Murray. Nancy and Jonathan, I honestly was like, yeah, just get together already. Like, we know you guys yeah. like each other. Just do it. And it, it just felt prolonged mm-hmm. to the point of almost like a filler. Like, we needed a little bit more time. We need these characters to progress. I just did not care for it. I can appreciate it. I just did not care for it. That being said, Murray is one of my favorite characters oh, now. Murray, Murray has amazing. a great arc. He just gets better season yes. three and four. Murray has an amazing arc from season two to four, and it's it's great. Um, yeah, Murray in this season is a little annoying. He's just that conspiracy theorist, you know, writer guy that's trying to expose the government for all the crazy things they do, but. And I definitely agree. Every time that that subplot kind of came up, I was like, oh my gosh, what are we doing here? Like, this has nothing to do with the mind flare and what's going on in Hawkins and the seriousness of all of that. They're just trying to expose the government facility. We have that we all know is evil, but they're also trying to help Will. So, you know, give and take. Um, And, but until the the final episode of the season where they kind of take down the government facility and do all that, that's where I'm like, okay, this had a point. This had a reason that you were doing this. I like it a little better. Still not my favorite part of the season, but I liked it a little better. And I thought it was good. And I thought it was fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, just for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of jump around and talk about season three Love a it. little bit too. One of the best relationships, not only is Steve and Dustin, I think, but Hopper and Eleven. The father-daughter relationship, and we get that in season two, but it progresses through season mm-hmm. three. And it's this idea that Hopper finds Eleven, and he lost his daughter years and years ago, and sees Eleven as his daughter now. And he wants to protect her at all costs, even if that means her not leaving mm-hmm. the cabin and not yeah. having a life. And it's understandable. Like, I sat there and I think I felt more for Hopper and what he was doing than I did mm-hmm. for Eleven. And I understood the motives. And it was really cool to see the relationship they had, the trust they had in each other, the breaking of their trust in season two, and then the reconnecting in season three through other means. So, at times in season three, they were separated. And it wasn't until things were lost, until Hopper, spoilers, supposedly dies, that it, it kind of clicks with Eleven that that was her mm-hmm. father. Yeah, that's good. And I love that entire arc. Yeah. Um, I will also add, this also has, this season, season two, has one of the, probably most considered to be one of the worst episodes in Stranger Things. Um. I know exactly which, which one is you're talking Eleven's about. little adventure in, I think it was Chicago, um, when she goes and finds eight. Um, I don't think it's the worst episode. I still enjoy it, but it's definitely not a stranger. It doesn't feel like Stranger Things. And it's definitely more of a filler episode. And I think it's important for Eleven's character arc and her growth as a person. Um, but no one really likes the episode, unfortunately. Yeah. I enjoy it. I would. It's not my favorite. I, I could say 
potentially eight might show up in season five cool. again. I wouldn't put it past them just to have everything connected because they kind of left that plot yeah. hanging and it doesn't make sense for the Duffer brothers to leave things hanging. They seem to be very much knowing exactly what they want to do and there's everything there for a purpose. So I think there is a purpose in that episode. It definitely helped Eleven and her realization of her place is in Hawkins. Yeah, for sure. But I do think there's more to it than that. I think we might get something in season five related to that. I would love that. That would be awesome. Um, I'm going to kind of jump into setup and then kind of move my way into season three. Um, But for setup for season two, it was the arcade. And it was the arcade machine. And it was the, the, I think it was Dragon's Lairs, the game. Um, But they used that to kind of set up the season. And it was uh, the fact that Dustin was playing and he was trying to beat Lucas's high score and he ends up failing. And Lucas says something along the lines of, and I forget the princess's name in the game, but he says, Oh, princess, whatever her face still is mine. You know, I win and kind of insinuating and setting up that they were going to have this competing battle throughout the season for max. And Lucas ends up winning out and dating her. Um, but yeah, that was a cool setup. And I liked that kind of, they do little things like that little nods through the arcade games or through D&D and all of that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of all I got with setup. Yeah. Um, I think the ending is also really cool. Eleven closing the gate yes. finally. Everyone believing Hawkins is uh, safe now and that the facility is now finally shut down. The Russians can't have uh, the power and everything's good. Like, the season two honestly ends in a place where it's like, if the show ended Everyone here, would be happy. everything is kind yeah. of tied up. Except, at the very end, once again, Will. Will is this major character in all the seasons, even if he doesn't seem to be. I believe at the end of season two, he touches his neck. And everyone's like, what's going no, on? No, at the end of season two, they're at the snowball. And this everything flips upside down. The mind flare is hovering That's above right. the gym. Showing that he's still watching. That's right. Yet everyone still knows Will is connected mm-hmm. to it somehow. Because anytime you see the mind flare, it was always with Will. And then season, season three, hits, three And we get even more character development with Max. And we get to see a whole lot more with her family. And the abuse and the relationship she has with her mom, dad, and brother. And we get to see Billy in a different light. We don't see Billy as the bully in season two, like in replacement of Steve, but we see him more as a person abused personally and using that abuse further. So you can see kind of the corruptness in his mind based off the abuse that he had. Yes. And then the mind flare takes control of him. Yeah, that was a bummer. And that's when we get to see this almost redemption act. You start feeling for Billy, and everything kind of goes downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, this season was interesting. Um, I'm going to kind of more talk about characters than anything in this season, because in season two, Max and Eleven were not friends. Eleven did not like Max, because the only time she sees Max is when Max was talking to Mike, and, and Eleven thought she was flirting with Mike, and she didn't. Eleven did not like that. But in this season, Max and Eleven become actually really good friends. Um, 
because they have this moment where Eleven comes to her and says, hey, I need your help. Something's going on and I'm trying to figure it out. Can you help me? And like when they first have the interaction, Max is like, what are you doing here? Like the only time we hang out is when we're in the group because we're not really friends. And then they become great friends and become best friends. And it was really cool, a really cool development in those characters um, through this plot of the story. Um, But yeah, I totally agree with Billy and Max's family. And Billy's arc in this season is super interesting um, because it is one of redemption that you don't realize until the very end. And I love a good redemption arc. They're so good. Oh, same. I will say season three is the most 80s i would say of all the seasons like it kind of just feels Mm -hmm. like the 80s with the bright colors and the mall being such a prominent setting however i think out of all the seasons season three is my i was just about to say that season three is my least favorite because the first half of the season does not feel like stranger things to me at all it doesn't it there was really not a lot of suspense we get this really weird arc with the russians mm-hmm. uh, which later down the road it makes a lot more sense especially with the cold war and trying to integrate all that in but it just didn't feel as cohesive as it could have mm-hmm. but i also don't put that past the duffer brothers i think this was meant to feel this way it was supposed to feel almost as a break Interesting. i think in season two where like we had the suspense pretty much the whole season season three we didn't get a lot of suspense until the final yeah, two episodes not at all. and i i think the duffer brothers were trying to show do like a a bait and switch of everything's happy go lucky like we're we're all having fun there's no demagogues there's no mm-hmm. demogorgon and then we see the mind flare and we see how it's affecting billy and we see what's happening with all these different people throughout the season and the last two episodes are in the mall. All the kids are there. Everyone knows it's happening. And it's this just bloodbath. Yeah. Not really. Like, not a lot of Well, you have die. all the, the mind but flayed like, people explode and turn into the mind flare. Oh, yeah. So, that's right. That's right. It kind of is a bloodbath. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just so suspenseful at that last two. My favorite two episodes of the season three were right there. But we also get robin as a character i who i think like, in this whole season yeah shines. she is such a great she has such a good introduction in this season and her and steve's relationship is so cool from being like you know sassy co-workers to like good friends and best friends is such a cool development um and the way she integrates with dustin and steve is so good like the three of them becoming good friends is so great um yeah, it's such a good introduction to her character. We also get introduced, or at least she's finally a main character, is Lucas's sister. Erica Sinclair. Oh, man. What an intro. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of her. I think she was a little bit of a I agree. brat. She's supposed, she's supposed to. to be. But her arc is pretty good, too, where she finally like gets a little bit more trusting. She understands what her brother's been up to. And... She she becomes a leader in in almost an aspect in the season leading up to mm-hmm. season four. She um, becomes a nerd. Her voice matters. <laughs> yeah, she That's was true. always a nerd. But she realizes it. Um, she realizes she was a nerd. Yeah, 
but yeah, season three was really cool. I don't think we had really any D and D plot mechanisms other than mind flare kind of come up in this one. We did uh, actually. Did you see any? We setup did have in it this? one D and D plot setup, which was Will was right. like wanting to play D and D the entire season. He's like, guys, can we just play D and D? Can we just play D and D? And then they finally, uh, Mike, Lucas, and Will finally decide to play D and D because Will forces them to play D and D. Because they're having all these girl problems, and this is where they kind of introduce the idea of Will possibly being gay. Um, and so they're doing all these things, and then they finally play D and D. And Mike and Lucas are not into it. They are not into playing, and they're like, "This is dumb." Um, and they come to the final boss, and they want to leave and finish, but. But Will's like, guys, you're not done yet. And both Lucas and Mike look at each other and say, well, what we do is we drop this torch onto the flaming, onto the oil or whatever, and we light the entire cavern on fire, killing ourselves, killing the bad guys, saving the town. And we become heroes, and we immortalize ourselves in the views of the town. And Will's like, what the heck? Like That's not how you you would end it normally. You would actually try to survive. And... I think that was a setup for Billy and Billy sacrificing himself to save everyone and immortalizing himself as a hero in Max's eyes. So that's I what I think that. the D and D setup was in the season. We also get something else here that has been a common trend in deaths. So you can't really call something a trend until it happens at least three times. And in this season, Every season, one, two, and three has had a death, starting with the letter B. Has it really? Oh my gosh, it has. Yep. We had Barb, we had Bob, and we had Billy. And in season four, I knew it was coming, and we also get a death with B. We get Brenner. And so everyone, that has been a trend that everyone's been waiting for, especially with season four. So in season five, a lot of people was like, okay. Who's gonna Who's gonna be Who's gonna, who's be gonna have a five? B name? And the other thing is, the other thing is, a lot of these characters were introduced and then killed off, which has been a little bit of a controversy. Of why can't we have these characters in later seasons? Yeah, but I also think that a lot of these characters are foils to our to our other main characters, and they need to die in order to yeah. progress their story. Early character, such as Max. Max is, I think, the biggest one. We get a lot of her character development in season four because mm-hmm. of Billy. 100%. I did not realize the death and the trend thing with bees. That's so cool. But we're starting to run out of time. So I think we should jump into season four and jump into some yeah, let's theories go season four. for season five after that. Yeah. Season four, I think, is my second favorite aside from season one. 100%. Um. I absolutely love the season. I was engaged with it the entire time. And we start off just like season one with a D&D game. Yep. Oh, and yeah. Is the Hellfire Club. They're looking for another uh, another player. So uh, Lucas's sister comes in um, through a whole bunch of different means. And we see Lucas playing basketball. And we see the D&D group fighting Vecna. And... Eddie Munson is a new character. He's the DM here. He's a super senior. Super, super and senior. I love his character right from the get-go. Yeah, super, super <laughs> senior. 
right from the get-go, one of my favorite Same. characters. And once again, this D&D game almost parallels the story we get. And it's in a different way than the first season was. Because the whole game goes, they're fighting Vecna, and it comes down to two roles. And Eddie's like, do you fight or do you run? It is okay to run. It's sometimes better to run. And they're like, no, we're going to fight. And Dustin rolls the die. And I think he gets a natural one. No, he just misses. All right, he misses. Well, Lucas in the uh, basketball game or someone in the basketball game misses. And personally, I think that represents this season where they're doing this whole thing. They're fighting Vecna at the very last minute. They lose. And I think when Lucas's sister, Erica, rolls the die one last time to fight and gets a natural 20 and defeats Vecna, I don't think that signifying Erica is going to kill Vecna in season five. I think that's more of something big is going to happen in order to kill Vecna in the next season. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So that's how I interpret that D&D session. But I think it more so than anything, it represents Eddie. Yes. I was gonna I was gonna mention that. That's his journey. If if you wanna talk about his journey, feel free to. Yeah. Um his at the entire season, and I said this since the first couple episodes in in the show in season four, that Eddie was on a hero's journey the entire time. And cause the entire time he's mentioning like, yeah, I just ran away. He's framed for murdering Chrissy and he runs and he runs away and he spends the entire season hiding and being afraid of everyone. And then by the end, again, spoilers for season four, if you haven't seen it yet, he spends the entire season running. And then at the end, everything hits the fan. Everything is failing, which I think you're right with the, with the one role where they miss all their their elaborate plan, their setup is all crumbling down around them. And what does Eddie do? He runs into battle and he fights to give them more time and he sacrifices himself and he dies, which is so sad. And it made me so sad to see him die. But he was on that hero's journey. And in the very beginning of the episode, with the first episode with the D&D game, he mentions it's okay to run. It's okay to run, to fight, live to fight another day. That is a valid option. And he got to this point where he's like, no, I'm not going to run away anymore. I'm tired of running. I'm going to be a hero. And it was so good. And that they set up throughout, and I could list so many scenes in so many episodes setting up that arc and continuing that arc because they did such a good job with it. But I would be here for 30 minutes explaining everything and talking about it. Yeah. And I don't... And, you know, we have other things to talk about. So... <laughs> he, he's my favorite. He would be one of my favorite arcs in the entire show. 100%. With that, with that mentality of, I'm running, I'm running, I'm not a hero. I'm running, I'm running. And even with this conversation with Steve where it's like, you're the hero. We're like, not heroes. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're the person. You go do it. I'll stay here with Dustin. Yeah. And, yeah... I think that was the most emotional death in the whole show mm-hmm. just because he's with Dustin and he's like, I'm going to graduate. Like, 
this this is it. Yeah, I'm done. My I'm, I'm graduating. I didn't run, right? Yeah, run. that was the part that got me when he looked up at Dustin was like, I, I didn't run, right? Like, I didn't run. And it was like, oh, Eddie, like, yeah. dang, you're pulling on my heart, man. Like, come on. Yeah, so yeah. good. But season four as a whole was, I think, really well done in the aspect of we're finally getting answers. Mm-hmm. Season four was the uh, penultimate ep- uh, season. Everyone knew this is going to be the second to last. And yeah. This was set up the finale and it did it in flying colors. We finally get to understand who's been pulling the strings. We finally understand uh, Dr. Brenner's like work and why he was trying to work with 11. Mm-hmm. We finally get uh, understanding of what the upside down is in a roundabout way. And we finally get answers on 11 as a whole in her backstory. And they do it so well. They really do. Uh, weaving it in and out. The only issue I had with season four. Will, Jonathan, Mike, and Argyle. Their arc and their whole thing just could have been left out. I understand like the last like volume two, they were a bigger role. But I just didn't care for their story every time it came up i was like okay let's get back to 11 or hey let's get back to dustin and them i i agree um i think in seasons one through three the duffer brothers do an amazing job and we talked about it a lot in season one they do an amazing job of having three or four different plots that are all connected and all three or four of those plots are circling around the same thing but coming at it from different angles and I, like I said, I talked about it a lot in season one. This season, they tried to do the same thing, but I feel like it fell a little more flat. I agree. Like the the like you said, the Mike, Will, Jonathan, Argyle portion was entertaining at times. Like when they went and saw Susie, that was an entertaining part. But besides that, I wanted to get back to Hawkins. I wanted to see what's going on with Steve and Nancy and Dustin and Erica and Lucas and Eddie. I wanted to see what was going on there. And then when you jump to 11 and she was figuring out things with uh, with one and Vecna and all that from that side and her past and her memories, it was interesting. But definitely, like, I, I had times where I wanted to go back to Hawkins. I think that one was probably the second strongest out of those the four arcs going on. And then the last one yeah. being Russia with Hopper and Joyce and Murray, again, had some really interesting parts, had some exciting moments. And it had some really cool characters. I like the introduction of Enzo as a character. I don't think we're going to see much more of him, unfortunately, but I liked him as a character. Um, but those parts weren't as strong of a, of a story as what was going on in Hawkins. I think they unintentionally made Hawkins yeah. too interesting of a story, of a plot, and the other ones weren't as interesting. Um, I would I would also add to it, every season at the end had a somewhat all the characters got back together, gave all the information that they all had. So everyone had the same information and went from there. Season four didn't have that where there were three groups all not knowing what each other was doing, just that they were doing something. And I think that also fell flat where it's like, I wanted to see all the characters back together. We did at the very, very end. And it makes me excited for season five because it makes me feel as if season five are going to have all the characters the entire time together. Yeah, 
And they have said that. They have said that they're going to have everything take place, I think, in Hawkins. And we're going to see a lot of groups that were similar to the first season. And it's all going to be more close-knit, which is exciting. Yeah. So I did. I, I am looking forward to that, but I agree with you. I think this one, they tried a little too much. Mm-hmm. But Most of it worked. Some of it didn't. Yeah, which is interesting because we both agree that this is our second favorite season. And even with some of these things falling flat, we still loved the season so much. And exactly. It was because it was great. It was such a good season. And I'm so excited for this season really felt like the beginning of the end. And it really was, you know, to put it in that the MCU terms, it really was the Infinity War to the end game. You know, like it, it, exactly. it really was that setup for the ending of it all and that, you know, great next step of opening the door of like, all right, we're be putting all of our final chess pieces in place for that checkmate, for that ending point, for the the climax. It conclusion. does make it does make me nervous though. Because just like you said, in the comparison of Infinity War to Endgame, I personally really enjoyed Infinity War way more than Endgame. Valid. And so I hope that they can land this season. Mm-hmm. Like this season is the final one where it's like this is we're going out with the bang. And I hope it's not fanfare. I hope they don't yeah. bring things back where it's like, no, like use what you already set up, but don't make things up. Yeah. Continue the course. Do do what you always plan to do. And I think the Duffer brothers are going to be good at that because I think so too. They are, they are so good at their, the way they weave a story. And even in the seasons that I like season three is my least favorite season, but I still really enjoy that season and it's still a really good season. And so they do an amazing job at weaving a story and bringing a story to its conclusion. And I think they'll do a really good job with season five and I'm really looking forward to it. Now, I know we're a little bit over than our normal time, so bear with us. We have one more thing we want to talk about, and this is what I've been excited for, is theories. Oh, yeah. Theories for Season 5. So, Season 4 ended with us finally figuring out that Vecna is Henry, who is also number one, and that Dr. Brenner basically created him. And Eleven banished him to the Upside Down, and that's where he's been. He's been trying to get out. And in Season 3, we found out that the reason... Eleven got bit by one of the slugs, the polywogs, was because Vecna needed her power. Mm-hmm. At least a little bit of it in order to start opening up doors in season four. Now, first is a setup uh, that season four did. I don't know if you noticed this. I actually saw this yesterday. In, uh, what's Dustin's girlfriend's name? Susie. In Susie's house... When we see all the other kids doing their thing, that was an actual foreshadowing of Volume Two. Was so it really? two of the kids were uh, sword fighting. That was a foreshadowing of Hopper. Two, oh my of, gosh. Uh, one, yeah, two of the kids were doing a play. One was poisoned or bitten, uh-huh. and then she was choking, signifying Eddie's being bit by the bat, along with. Um, Steve, Nancy, and Robin being choked by the vines. (laughs) Dang. Two of the kids are also cooking and set fire to the place. That was a foreshadowing of setting fire to Vecna. (laughs) 
So all these kids had a foreshadowing that I did not realize. That's I so thought that was cool. a really cool thing. Yeah. Um, but going back to theories, I've talked to you briefly. I I was so happy you didn't see this theory until I told you because I think it's a phenomenal theory. It's great. If we are talking about D&D and how D&D is a form of storytelling for Stranger Things, mm-hmm. there is a character called Kaz. Kaz the bloody-handed in D&D who lore-wise, kills Vecna. He is the one that goes against Vecna and kills her. Well, a lot of people are thinking Eddie is going to be Kaz because Kaz, in the lore, is bitten by bats, gets resurrected as a vampire, and then becomes Vecna's right-hand man for a little while before turning and killing Vecna. So there's this theory that maybe the Duffer brothers left Eddie in the Upside Down so that Vecna could resurrect him, control him as a right hand, and then finally Eddie will switch and be the final blow to Vecna. I We talked about this right before the podcast, but I am not a fan of fake out deaths. Mm-hmm. They do it a few times in the show, and yet I am very for this theory. Yes. Because it makes sense, and I love Eddie. I want to see more of Eddie. Yeah, I definitely agree. I love this theory. And I love it even more, too. And I think it's even more plausible. Uh, because, so, we mentioned in Season 3. Season 3, the the, the pseudo-Mind Flayer, you know, human skin suit Mind Flayer thing, attacks Eleven and bites her leg, right? And they reveal in Season 4 that that was... Um, Vecna trying to get Eleven's powers to open up gates. Well, in season four, Max dies from Vecna and Eleven mentally brings her back to life and she's in a coma. And so now we have this theory of Eddie being resurrected by Vecna who already has taken Eleven's part of Eleven's powers and is able to open up gates and now we discover that Eleven can kind of bring people back to life. So it makes even more sense that Vecna already has her powers. He's in a, He could bring back Eddie, have control of him like he did over Billy and all of that. But we already know that that can be broken. And so bring him back, have him be his right hand. Eddie breaks loose and kills Vecna. I freaking love it because it makes sense on all fronts. It makes sense in the world they've created. And... It seems plausible to me. So it does. I'm here for it. I would also, I would not be upset if they didn't do it, but if they don't do it, here's my one thing I want them to do. Do not use 11 as the major blow to Vecna. 11 is, although she is like one of the main characters, I don't feel like she deserves that. I think she is dealing with her own demons, her own problems with Brenner and how she Mm. was created. I think Will needs this. Yes. Will has been corrupted by Vecna since season one. Mm -hmm. He has had the wrong end of the stick every single season, being possessed by him, by being trapped in the upside down, by even running away in season four. And when he finally comes back, he's like, I can still feel him. Yeah. I think it needs to be Will to be the final blow to it. And that would be such a cool ending to his arc from season one to season four, like you were saying. 
Yeah, and even if they they didn't even bring Eddie back and use Will as Kaz. Yeah. Brainwash Will in season five. Do it. Make him the right-hand man of Vecna. Mm-hmm. But then make him turn around and kill Vecna. Yeah. Make it him. I think that would be a very poetic way to end Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. You start with Will, yeah, and you're going to end with Will. Yeah. It's be so good. I would love that. Um, We got a lot of cool stuff coming up in Stranger Things 5. It's going to be good. Oh, yeah. It's going to be good. And the closer, the closer we get to season 5, I think we'll do another podcast on just theories. Yes. Just how we feel about the show and kind of leading leading up to it. But for now, we are uh, we are a little over time just than little, we normally just a do. Bit. Yeah. Just a little. It's fine. So uh, take it away, Tim. Yeah. We release new episodes every single Monday, Monday, Monday. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, share this podcast write a review help us get better because we're st- we're 22 23 episodes in but we're still very new at this and we want to get better we want to improve the product that we're putting out and we want to give you guys stuff that you will enjoy listening to so write a review help us get better and help us make a fun nerdy geeky outlet to just talk about nerd stuff and along those lines, send us a message on Instagram on what you want us to hear, what you what what you want us to talk about, and what you want to hear, and we'll we'll do it. We like talking about nerdy things, and so give us some new topics that we can research and talk about and have some fun with. Yeah, yeah, and uh, join us next week as we discuss one of our favorite TV shows, aside from Stranger Things. Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, yeah. And we may also... uh, There's a little surprise in there for this next episode, so give it a listen when it comes out, because we're trying something new. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Because you know. It's all geek to me.